You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary lifestyle in Los Angeles. This is episode 96, and I'm recording on Tuesday, February 7th. I'm going to introduce myself, as I tend to do once in a while in case there are any new listeners out there. I'm an author, a creative writing instructor at UCLA Extension's Writers Program, and I also edit manuscripts and apparently teach bookbinding, which I did the other day for the very first time. I taught my first online bookbinding course to the art club that I belong to. It's very strange because I feel totally comfortable and confident teaching writing or literature, but a new skill, which I haven't spent much time on, that is a totally different story. But I made it through, and it makes me so happy knowing that people are arting in the books we all made together. I have a lot of upcoming travel for hockey over the next few weeks, so I'm lining up my audiobook picks. What am I going to talk about when hockey season ends in a few weeks? I've been trying to watch some of the Academy Award-nominated films this year. I haven't gotten very far. I don't have so much free time, but my father is part of the Voting Academy and takes it all very seriously, and he's committed to seeing absolutely everything. He's also a member of the Foreign Film Committee, and those are always his favorite. So far this year, I've seen Triangle of Sadness, The Menu, The Fablemans, and The Banshees of Inishirin. So I'm asking you all, what else should I see? Feel free to send me an email at booksaremypeople at gmail.com with your recommendations. I definitely have many opinions about each and every one of the movies I just listed, but for now, I will say that all I want to do is paint stills from The Banshees of Inishirin, the green grass, and all the walls and the donkey. And I got a new chair. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, there are three things that inevitably happen. My dog makes noise, my stomach grumbles, and my chair squeaks, but the squeaky chair is gone. So I don't know what I can do about the other two factors, but I'm very happy to have a non-squeaking chair. I'm so excited for our guest author today, but first it's time for some bookish news. The finalists for the 2022 National Book Critics Circle Awards have been announced. There are so many incredible books on this list, including Bad Mexicans by UCLA's Kelly Little Hernandez, Tess Gunty's debut novel, The Rabbit Hutch, and so many more. Some books I discussed on the show are also nominated, including Night of the Living Res by Morgan Talty and The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. I think you'll have an incredibly curated list of books if you decide to read from this list of nominees, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. Actor Phoebe Waller-Bridge of Fleabag. Have I mentioned how much I love that series? She is teaming up with author Claudia Lux to adapt her book, sign here. I had not heard of this book. Has anyone read it? Apparently, it's a dark comedy about a guy named Peyote Tripp who works in the deals department on the fifth floor of hell. I'll watch anything Phoebe Waller-Bridge is involved in. According to the BBC, due to inflation, Egyptian writers have changed their approach to writing. Because of the rising cost of book production, I believe books are four times more expensive now than they were just a year ago, writers are forced to be more economical in terms of character development and book length, 
as books are considered a luxury item. I just find it so fascinating that instead of novels, there's going to be this new wave of novellas written due to the economic turndown. If you want to read more about this, I will leave a link in the show notes. And lastly, Naomi Alderman's The Power will be adapted into a series starring Tony Collette, among others. I think I've talked about The Power on this show before. It's a dystopian thriller about girls who have the power to electrocute at their fingertips, basically begging the question, what if the power in a society switched from men to women? It was a fantastic novel, and I'm looking forward to the series. There are so many amazing actors in this series, including Tahib Jimmo, whom I love, and I will leave a link in the show notes to the full article if you'd like to see who else is going to be a part of this project. Amy Popel grew up in Dallas, Texas. After graduating from Wellesley College, she worked as an actress in Boston while earning her master's degree. For the last two decades, she and her neuroscientist husband have lived in many cities, including San Francisco, Berlin, and New York City, raising three sons along the way. In 2011, Amy attended sessions at the Actor Studio Playwright Directors Unit, where she wrote a theatrical version of what would become her first novel, the critically acclaimed Small Admissions, an entertaining and humorous read about the cutthroat world of New York City private school admissions. Her second novel, Limelight, about a family from a suburban Texas adjusting to life in Manhattan, was equally well-received. Musical Chairs, a musically-themed ode to family life, won the Connecticut Book Award for Fiction. Amy's work has appeared in The New York Times, The Rumpus, Working Mother, Points in Case, The Belladonna, and literary mama. So it is with great pleasure and enthusiasm that I welcome Amy Popel to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I've read every single one of your novels, and I'm just so excited to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you. Always wonderful to hear people have read your backlist as well. So thank you for that. I'm definitely a super fan. Where are you calling in from today? Um, I am in from New York City at the moment. Oh, nice. How is it has the cold front left? It's so much better. It was so bitter a few days ago. It was truly just miserable. To, my dog wouldn't even go outside. I mean, he was just, it was so cold. Um, but no, it's it's much better today. The sun is almost shining. How about you? Well, I'm in Los Angeles, so <laughs> boring and 70 and sunny, the usual. Can you share with listeners what your latest novel, The Sweet Spot, is about? Yes. So The Sweet Spot is a Greenwich Village story, and it's about three women who truly have every reason to hate each other, even though they've never met, who end up coming together and bonding over a few things, um, one of which is a baby that belongs to none of them. Um, it's definitely a story about an inadvertent remark that sets off just sort of a tsunami of events. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that, made an unintentional remark that had consequences that you were not anticipating, but um, that's one of the things that this book is about. And it's definitely about female rage, friendship where you least expect it, and just my love of living in Greenwich Village. And that absolutely shines through on the page. You made me want to move. It's great. I've lived here for about almost 15 years now. And I don't live in one of the brownstones that features so prominently in this book. But I just love those brownstones. And I walk around my neighborhood all the time, looking at them and wondering what's happening inside and wondering what they look like inside. And I've been fortunate enough to be invited into a few. Um, but it's it's just something that I decided at one point that I wanted to 
I, you know, I just wanted to put a family in one of those brownstones, have it be beautiful, but not too perfect because I never like my characters to get too comfortable. Um, but yes, I just, I love my neighborhood and I love those old brick brownstones. Your work really reminds me of films by Nancy Myers and Nora Ephron because your books are so funny and witty and so full of heart and delightful coincidence. I'm curious how long it took you to write The Sweet Spot. Um, this one took me probably about two years to write. Any comparison to Nora Ephron is just going to make me squeal with delight because I love her. Um, and yeah, I, I, I like to work humor into my books. And I also, one thing that I think is true also of the Nancy Meyer movies is that I like to work in women of many different ages. Um, so that's, you know, just, I, I don't know, that's another topic that I really like exploring. Um, but yeah, I think it took me about two years. I had a, I had one false start with this book, which was a narrative um, thing that I tried, where I actually had the book originally written from one character's perspective in first person. And I very quickly realized that with this growing cast of characters that I had in the book that I wanted to hear from many of them. And so I did what they call close third instead. And um opened the book up so that I could hear from a lot of the different voices in the book. You mentioned this yourself, but one of the many things I really loved and admired about your novel is the fact that the women you write about differ in age, which I found so refreshing. But they're also all truly three-dimensional characters, and I felt like I intimately knew them by the end of the novel. So I love hearing the story about how you you were going to write it from one point of view, and then you broaden that perspective. But I guess my question is, when you're crafting a character, how much time do you spend creating a backstory or character profiles versus letting them live on the page and kind of see where they take you? I guess it's my veiled way of asking if you're a plotter or a, a pantser. No, it's a great question. I, I am definitely more of a pantser for sure. I wish I could outline. I actually tried to outline this book and it failed. But something that you just said is so interesting to me because it's more the question of not so much outlining, but figuring out who the characters are before you start writing. And that's something that I actually want to try to do a little bit more with this next book that I'm working on. Because what I tend to do is write the wrong things. And in doing so, it helps me figure out who these people actually are, because I'll sort of figure it out as I go. And I think that that can work. I do. I think that that can absolutely work. It, it involves a massive amount of rewriting because then when you really get to know your characters well, you start to realize, wait a minute, she would never say that or she would never react that way or he would never look like that or something. So I end up doing an, a, a huge amount of rewriting. The problem is, is that I can't seem to figure out who my characters are until I've got them in these situations and I see how they respond to them. And that's when I start to kind of figure out backstory and that sort of thing. I'm going to try with my next book to do that more of a, of a hybrid where I'm going to try to figure out the characters a bit more. I mean, that's what I'm sort of doing right now is I have started writing, but I'm trying to do a bit more front end work in figuring out who the characters are before I get too many words on the page, because um, I just sort of want to see how that works for me. Um, one thing I sort of am trying this time because I have sort of a background in theater is to write monologues from the perspectives of my characters and see if I can sort of do a little bit of the work that way. Um, I will keep you posted. And oh, let you know. 
if that works for me or not. And I think for any writers listening, that would be a fantastic exercise to to write a monologue. I know I've assigned that to my students before because it's a moment of discovery and you can, you know, feel so many different emotions in a monologue. So you can explore all different facets of a character in a monologue. So Great Absolutely. tip. And it really helps understand voice. What does this character sound like when they talk? What do they, what are their opinions about things? I think it's really a, a great way to go about it. Well, you capture private school culture so well, first in small admissions and again in the sweet spot. Did you ever work in education? I did. I was a high school teacher for many years at a big public school in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. Um, And I loved teaching. It was honestly the hardest job I've ever had in my life. I taught 11th and 12th graders um, and I loved it. And I loved the literature. I loved sharing the literature and I just love a school environment. Um, After that, I ended up working in an admissions department in a private school in New York. That was a very different kind of job. Also quite grueling, actually, um, but really really interesting. And talk about a way of doing character study. I mean, just to meet that many people over the course of, say, a six to eight month admission cycle, and to try to understand them and to try to understand if they're a good fit for a specific type of school. Um, I really think that helped my writing, actually. Um, so I I love I love a school environment. I think it's such an interesting microcosm of personalities and Um, And just to write about kids, I always think, I think children are hilarious. My own children, I think are hilarious. And a school is just such a great place to put them and see what happens with um, different kinds of rules and structure and um, just to see how they react is great fun for me. Well, and kids are so unfiltered. And I think that's something that gets your characters in trouble is that they are also unfiltered at times. Yes, I think they both can be. And it's one of my favorite things about kids. And one of the things I liked most about interviewing kids for admissions. Um, And so much of that I put into my first book, Small Admissions. But the fact that some children, this I was working with middle kids coming into middle school. And some kids that age are so practiced and polished. And others just say whatever is the first thing that pops into their little heads. And I found that endlessly entertaining and fascinating. And what are you working on next? So I'm working on a story right now that's, if anyone enjoyed the holiday, I am working on a house swap story, a summer where two families switch houses. One family is in Dallas, Texas, which is where I was born and raised. And the other family is in Berlin, Germany, which is a place I lived for a few years. Um, And I live part of the year in Germany anyway. So I've sort of wanted to write about that culture and that place for a very long time. So it's a comedy. You'll quickly find out why the families are swapping houses. Then you'll find out why they're actually swapping houses. And you'll soon find out why they may not be so eager to get back home. I cannot wait. Thank you for answering all of my questions about the sweet spot and your creative process and your new creative process, perhaps with the monologues. And now we're going to move on to the book recommendations. So Amy, what is your first pick? My first pick today is The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Cohen Loigman. She is such a smart, funny, wonderful writer. And The Matchmaker's Gift is just an absolute love story to the Lower East Side and to New York City. And it's about a grandmother who has the special gift of being able to see soulmates. 
and her granddaughter, who happens to be a vicious divorce attorney. So it's it's just a perfect premise for a wonderful story about family and about love and about soulmates. And I enjoyed every page. It's The Matchmaker's Gift by Linda Cohen Leugman. Wonderful. I have not heard of that book, so I'm excited to add it to my list. My first pick is Big Swiss by Jen Began, which came out on February 7th. I was so excited to see this novel reviewed in the New York Times last weekend because I absolutely loved it and I'm glad it's getting this kind of exposure. I talked about Began's first novel, Pretend I'm Dead, previously on the show, and she also has a novel called Vacuum in the Dark, which I have not read. Big Swiss is a hilarious and heartbreaking novel. 60-year-old Greta works as a transcriber for a sex therapist. Listening to patients' voices all day, she knows very intimate things about them, and she's quite taken with one patient in particular, a woman in her 20s whom Greta refers to as Big Swiss. After a run-in at a dog park, the two become friends, not quite organically, because Greta obviously knows a whole lot of details about Big Swiss's personal life, and Greta's constantly manipulating the situation in order to make their friendship and budding attraction to one another a success. Began's voice is so wholly unique that no matter where this book went, both the weirdness of Greta living in a house full of dead bees and some pretty heavy and dark territory, I felt lucky to follow along. This is a book about friendship and manipulation, and I especially loved a fresh take on a 60-year-old sexuality. Thank you to Scribner and to NetGalley for the advanced review copy, and this just in, Jody Comer of Killing Eve and so many other things is already on board for the movie adaptation, which can't come soon enough for me. And again, that's Big Swiss by Jen Began. What is your second pick? Well, I first have to say that sounds so intriguing. I'm going to add that to my Goodreads reads, um, to read list immediately. It's so good. <laughs> it's wacky so- and wild, but it is a ride. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Um, The next book that I'm going to recommend is a book called The World According to Fanny Davis. And it's told, it's the story is written by her daughter, Bridget Davis. And it's just a fascinating memoir that I actually listened to on audiobook because I love memoirs on audiobook. I love to get to hear a story told, a life story told by the author themselves as they almost always narrate their own memoirs. And Bridget has a wonderful voice and I learned so much about her life. Um, it's about her mother, Fanny Davis, who ran the numbers in Detroit for years and which is the unofficial, it was the unofficial lottery illegal at the time. And, um, and just the way society did absolutely everything in its power to get in her way and obstruct her success. And I just found the story absolutely fascinating. Um, it was an editor's choice book for the New York Times book review. And it's just a fascinating story. And I've had the honor of getting to meet Bridget in person. And she's just as wonderful as she comes across in the book. So that's The World According to Fanny Davis, and the author is Bridget M. Davis, and I highly recommend it. So this is one of the perks of doing this show is that I get to learn about all these books that were not on my radar, and I love listening to memoirs on audiobook as well. So list continues to grow. Thank you for sharing that one. My second pick is Bookworm by Robin Yateman, and this comes out tomorrow. So as I was reading this, I was wondering... Is this a romance novel? Is it a suspense novel? Is it a dark comedy? And I am going to go with yes to all of the above. 
Victoria is a massage therapist by trade, but a bookworm at heart, living in Montreal, where both of my parents are from, so there were some really fun, familiar references there. When I pictured Victoria, I kept imagining Roald Dahl's Matilda as an adult. Victoria loves getting lost in a book, but she also loves hiding behind them and feels a strong sense of obligation to finish every book once she starts because she's so optimistic that the book will improve. One day, she's in a cafe reading when she sees a very handsome man reading the exact same book, and she believes this is kismet and she loves him. Problem is, she's married to Eric, a lawyer, void of passion. He picks on her and forces her to watch cheesy movies with him, and even has her on a book-reading ban because he thinks they're making her depressed. So Victoria begins fantasizing about her husband dying, and these fantasies get darker as the book progresses. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll stop there, but this is a funny, irreverent, surprising, and subtle book that bookworms will love, filled with fantastic book references throughout. Thank you to HarperCollins and to NetGalley for the advanced review copy, and that is Bookworm by Robin Yateman. And I'm curious, Amy, do you feel compelled to finish every book you start? I do. I, I have a very hard time putting books down because I almost always find that there's some some reason why I'm glad I finished it. <laughs> oh, nice. So you're an op- you're a book optimist. I am. I am a book optimist. I'm the opposite. If I, if I'm not hooked, I always give a book 50 pages. And if I'm not hooked, I'm like, time is too precious. I can't. I understand. And I think 50 pages is very fair. Um, and I'm not sure why I always feel compelled to finish. I, um, I'm, I really can't explain it. <laughs> um, but I think it's what you said. I think I'm just, I'm just an optimist. It's going to get better or it's going to turn out wonderful or some, there's going to be some reason why I'm glad I finished. What is your final pick? So this is a bit of a throwback, but I'm just such a fan of Adriana Trigiani that I just wanted to shout out a book of hers that I went back and read called The Shoemaker's Wife. Um, It's just such an amazing, no one does the epic family story quite the way Adriana Trigiani does. And this is a story that begins in Italy in the Alps, and it's about a young girl and a young boy who happen to meet. Um, life takes them into completely different directions, but they end up meeting again in New York City and begin to have a love story of their own that that takes them to many different places. And I just think there's nothing like getting swept up in one of Adriana's stories. You feel like you know the place and the people so well, and her stories are multi-generational and the setting and and they're always love stories to family and love stories to working people and um the shoemaker's wife is no exception it's just an outstanding book so i just wanted to shout out that one um i actually ended up listening to that one on audiobook as well um and it's beautifully narrated and you really get lost in the story it's just fabulous Great. I have a long drive to Phoenix, Arizona coming up. And now I know what books I'm going to be listening to. Yes, this one, I think I think you'll really enjoy the audiobook of it because it really does feel almost like you're listening to an old radio play or something. It's just it's beautifully narrated. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Everyone run out and get The Sweet Spot. I will link up to The Sweet Spot as well as all of Amy's previous novels and all of the books we've discussed today in the show notes section of the podcast. Next up for me is I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. Amy, 
What are you going to be reading next? I am reading a galley of a book by Heather Webb called Strangers in the Night. And that's the next one. I'm going to get to do an event with Heather um, sometime this spring. And I'm just really, really loving her stories so far. Strangers in the Night by Heather Webb. Where can people find you on social media? You can find me at Amy Popel on Twitter or Instagram um, and Facebook. So it's just my my full name, Amy Popel. And um, I have a newly designed website, which is www.amypopel.com. And I will link up to both of those. As always, I'm most active on Instagram at Jennifer Calogaris or search for Books Are My People and it will lead you to me. Want more book recommendations? Sign up for my weekly bookish newsletter. I'll leave a link in the show notes. I'll be back February 27th. And until then, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week. Bye.